I know if you recall, we just preached through the Gospel of John some time ago, and when I went back and referred to my notes, out and just re-preach that sermon. Um, but no worries, I'm not going to do that this morning because I'm going to go in a different direction than I went then, not against biblical. But as I think about John chapter 14 saying, I have gone, as we start this sermon series on heaven, it's different for me to approach preaching in this way. It will be a three-part series, and it will build upon each other. And so if you leave today, uh, all three parts of the other day, I hardly know what to do. I've, I spent so much time reading and studying on heaven. You think people just want to hear doctrine and theology? She said, probably not. Um, and so um, listen to your wife. And so you know, I do pray that it will be meaningful and edifying to you as maybe you hear from a different side of me, if you will. And so if your Bibles are open to John chapter 14, I want to read verses 1 through. Inspired and inerrant and sufficient word reads, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And he said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That it is inspired, that it is without error to lead us astray. And I do pray, Lord. That as we come to your text, seeking answers about heaven, we sing about heaven, we talk about your word and thinking that it doesn't say much about heaven. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit this morning would illuminate this text for us and that you would illuminate our heart and mind as maybe we have a different perspective. I pray, Father, that uh, your spirit would indeed guide us, keep us on track. Don't uh, help me or anyone else to lead us astray, but help us to... Um, desire and to focus upon you for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Heaven, a place for you. A place for you. We hear so many boundaries, and I was thinking through that a little bit, and I thought, wow, we hear of boundary waters. Uh, boundary waters, you may have heard of boundary waters. They're, they're the lakes up there in northern Minnesota that are right up against, can't think it's Minnesota, right up against boundaries as we think about it, come to our mind. But boundaries specifically, when I, when I want to think about it, is I, like we talk about we want to have, have boundaries in our life. And, and we, we say we set the boundaries for ourselves. I get kind of tired of hearing about boundaries. Uh, but, but boundaries are a part and a good part of our life. But sometimes I wonder uh, that as we try to set boundaries for our life to kind of control normalcy or sanity to our life, sometimes I think that the boundaries that we set ourselves uh, uh, are, more, are more focused on uh, keeping fear out. Often we want to have boundaries and we set boundaries in a way that we keeps, our, keeps us, keeps you and me in our safe space, if you will. In, in a space that, that I'm comfortable in, in a space that I can find sense of things that maybe don't make sense. And so sometimes I think boundaries, can, we set up boundaries in a way uh, for, to, for fear of comfort. Now, what do I mean a fear of comfort? Well, what I just kind of, we don't want to be outside that comfort zone and keeps us within a comfort zone. And sometimes uh, uh, we set up boundaries and it's a, it's a way of, of keeping fear or holding back maybe imagination in a way. Um, 
uh, being seen in a, in a wrong way or whatever. But it keeps the imagination out. And, and this is my set of beliefs. This is how I see things. And this is how the world makes sense. It makes sense in my world so that I can make sense of the world. And what it is, is in essence, what we want to do is we want to control the narrative, right? We want to control the narrative in such a desire. And what we desire is freedom, do we not? We desire freedom. We desire peace. We desire knowing that we're living correctly, that we're living right. We desire in the world. And that's all really, really good. But sometimes stifling imagination limits under what if we didn't set as we approach the topic of heaven what if we didn't set such restrictive boundaries on our view of heaven and that we can get outside the comfort zone a little bit of how we make sense of heaven and maybe just maybe god can give us a desire for heaven in a way that we nest That is my desire on this series on heaven. That maybe you can experience or view or think about heaven in a way maybe that you felt you were not allowed to think about it. And so this morning, not that I can give anybody permission about anything, but I would invite you and and for what it's worth, I give you permission to let yourself drift past the streets of gold, to drift beyond Maybe the floating clouds and people sitting upon them playing a harp. Move and let your imagination of heaven flow. The old Puritan preacher, Richard Baxter, he wrote The Saints Everlasting Rest, one of the many books I wrote on heaven. Everlasting Rest, and in that book he wrote this. He said, it is rare, daily meditation on heaven, but the effort brings great gain for those who make it a practice. Now, here, maybe I'll get a bit personal, so forgive me for this. Um, but the beginning of this Heaven series, I think I need to go a bit personal. And, and I just want you to know that <clears throat> I am a bit of a dreamer. If you ask my wife, and she will tell you that, and some of you may already know that about me. But I am a bit of a, a dreamer. I was the last of 11 kids. And so I was often way that I'm wired, maybe on purpose, or maybe I'm a product of my environment, or whatever you want to try to define it uh, in, in your mind uh, that, that would give definition to why I am the way that I am, right? And why are you the way that so I was always much of a dreamer. I always had imagination, and I could just, I had to use imagination, and I had to, to make the mud pies, right? And, 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 to, and to play with things in a way that you can imagine. Imagine things to end video games and watch TV and, and do whatever. But, you know, not that you can't have imagination in some of those things. But growing up the way that I did, had to have a vivid imagination. And part of my imagination, for some reason, I, I would dream and meditate and think about heaven. Heaven was I don't know where it came. It was always right there, even as a, as a little boy. Uh, even as a little boy, I would always dream of this story. Maybe the whole story already, I don't know. But, but part of this dreaming, uh, as a young child, I was laying, I was probably 10 years old, I suppose, and, and I was laying in the backyard again in one 
And as I laid in the backyard, it was a beautiful sunny day such as this with big white puffy clouds in northeast Ohio as, as is often the case. And I just thought as a young guy, if I could, if I could just concentrate hard enough and if I could just see clearly enough, I could see into heaven because that's where heaven is, right? Heaven's up there in the sky. We sang about it. Heaven's up and laid there focusing and dreaming and concentrating about heaven. I did have a vision. I did see just simply. And this is where it gets weird. But this is where I just seen as clear as I see your face this morning. I seen a face in the sky. And as a young guy, what would you do? First thing I did is run in the house and get mom. And I run outside and and I can still, it's just as clear. And I was like, right there, mom. And she couldn't see nothing. And I was like, mom, it's right there. And um, she never did see it. Asked for more descriptors for that, and we'll get to that next Sunday. But she would ask for a little more information and things like that. Um, But that's what I seen when I was concentrating. And for all my life, that face, it has guided my life. All my life to do with heaven for you. But I know for me, Jesus is real and that he has gone to prepare a place for you. Because it was many years later as I made sense of that face, did not have long flowing blonde hair and blue eyes. Jesus did, did, but it was, it it was the closest thing to, you look at a picture of a good Jewish boy and that's the, sometimes we see images or people talk about going to heaven and back and, yeah. But this face, I believe, what I seen was the earthly Jesus. But that face guided me all my life. And unfortunately, I believed that I needed to work hard to keep my place in heaven. And very few boundaries in life. And so much discouragement came because no matter what I did, I, I had a troubled past. And yet, no did. Once I crossed, I could give you specifics that I would no way give you. But in the moment of truth, it was as though that one more step, invisible, and it's done. That face always kept me in line, if you will. Though if you actually seen my life, you would say, it kept you in line, right? But all I'm saying, there was something about it that kept me aligned. And heaven was on my mind when it changed my something that is often and always on my mind. I don't know how much you think about heaven or how many thoughts you give into heaven, but this morning, be able to maybe help you in that area or at least give you permission to dream as I myself become Vulnerable with that little story. John starts out the 14th, a charge. With a charge of do not let your heart be troubled. Why, why, would, why would Jesus tell John that? Why would, he say, why would he say, give them this charge, do not let your heart be troubled? Why? Well, you have to look at the context. 
Jesus was just telling them that, that he's going away, that, that he's going to be with them. What, what are they supposed to think? Where are they supposed to go? What thoughts are supposed to Of course their hearts are troubled. As we looked at last week a little bit, as we looked at coming out of Easter and the resurrection of Jesus and the story of Easter last week. I mean, Jesus asked everything of them and now Jesus says, I'm going away. Of course, of course they're troubled. And we could carry that over for us today. For us today. As a little boy, right? If I don't work hard, if I don't cross the T's and dot the I's, Jesus, my life. And as you already know, the eternal security of the believer is a passion, is a passion of mine. It's a passion of mine. How is a person saved? Grace, you have been saved through faith, right? We know that very well, and yet we, we think we want to apply still some sort of works to our life that keeps us in line, right? A frown, right? And some type of gauge that keeps us in line. You've done nothing to save yourself. And you can do nothing to unsave your Romans. In Romans chapter 3. Um, Romans chapter th- yeah, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. It's a verse we know very, very well, right? For God, we know that. Verse 24, being justified, listen, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ. You have sinned and fallen. Were you justified by, by following the rules? Were you justified by, by following the law? Were you justified by, by doing all the right things? Were you justified by even if? Even if you say that, no, no, Pastor you're, you're way off base. Uh, believers can indeed be unsaved. Well, then I would offer you this, the, the, the accurate teaching of the Bible. And then it would only be because of you choosing to be unsaved, right? I mean, right? Because if you choose to be saved, the only way you can be un, but because of you choosing to say, God, I am done with you. I no longer want to be saved. I no longer want to follow you, right? Both have to be true. If one of them's true, they both have. As a believer, you can lose your salvation. Then it would have to be by you choosing to walk away. In John 10, 28, it says, and they follow me. And Jesus, he says what? They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. In no very least, if we, if we try to be as, as, as Arminian as we can on this, and if that's our perspective, and then we would at least have to say that we can't accidentally lose our faith, right? We can't accidentally, and you do, and we can't then lose our faith because of that, because Jesus gives us assurance. Don't let your heart be troubled. You cannot, you, nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Telling the disciples here, don't let your tro- hearts be troubled in John 14. <laughs> believe in God, believe also in me. What did he just say? Nobody can snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. But if you don't think that I'm secure enough, and then snatch them out of the Father's hand, right? And here he's saying that if you believe in God, right? You believe in God. Therefore, believe also in me, Jesus says. And we know Philippians 1, 6, you will what? Bring it to completion at when? Jesus began the good work. You did not. 
And Jesus will finish the good work. So to be troubled, don't let your heart be troubled. It is just to cause, it's turmoil. It's a wake up in the middle of the night, or maybe you don't, so let's just go hypothetically. You wake up in the middle of the night, your gut's turning and tossing and twisting, and you've got these thoughts that are flooding your mind, and you've got all these crazy things that come into your mind, right? That's troubled. No. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. I got you. I have gone to create a place for you, specifically for, you know, it's interesting. Um, or maybe it's more alarming than interesting. You read and read and read as I have, and, and, and it's just some smart theologians. They'll start out with, well, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about heaven. It's like, seriously? <laughs> That's because you're building boundaries, right? And so we're going we're gonna to continue to break down those boundaries. But, but we're building these boundaries. The Bible, in fact, uh, maybe not from your, maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't, but he wrote a, a, a theology that's certainly called dogmatic theology. Now, doesn't that just make your eyes gloss over or light up, whichever way, however God has wired your brain to work? But in the end times, of course, there's a lot to talk about that. But when it talks about the final destination of, of the believer or, or the non-believer, he says he has two pages. Two pages on heaven. Pages on hell. Two pages on heaven. 87 pages on hell. Why do we hear so much about hell? In fact, in fact, if, if you're old, uh, like me, um, you know, maybe you can remember when we had revival meetings every week. Oh, yeah, Ruth Ann, that's a good minute. Hearty amen, right? How many, how many can remember that? What came Friday? The sermon on hellfire and brimstone. I asked Cheryl as I was thinking about this. We were eating dinner the other night, and I said, Cheryl, you remember those times? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we all have the fear of hell indoctrinated within us, and Maybe. I know. She's Tonight's the night the sermon on heaven's coming. Never heard it. Why is that? Why do we talk so much about hell? Heaven. Tent meetings that pop up all over the place. How many of you go to tent meetings? Did they have those around here? Okay, they did, right? It's not just a Mennonite thing, is it? I don't think. Yeah, and part of it was you were going to hear about I, maybe your tent meetings were different, but I don't remember it. Maybe because Hellfire and Brimstone got my attention as a bad little boy. But, but, but heaven, I don't remember a lot about heaven. And Friday nights, I already knew, I knew, already knew what I was going to do. I got a lot of sins to confess. I need to do some more praying. I need somebody to pray with me. Every, I mean, that's just what it was going to be. Why do we hear so much about heaven? Or hell and not heaven. There was a guy, who's bad you remember a guy for this. But his name was Marvin King. Might have been related to the kings in this church. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> uh, he was from Pennsylvania. Um, kings in this church don't talk so much about hell. But, but uh, he'd come to church, uh, uh, Friendship Chapel. That's where he was a good conservative Mennonite church. And uh, Friday nights, he would, and I remember one time, he was getting very descriptive. He could be very descriptive. And he says, I got this pot sitting right here. And if I could just, and he's going on, descriptive, descriptive, descriptive. And I'm just sitting there as a little kid. Just, say, just, just call the altar call. Give the altar call. I just can't wait to go forward. I mean, it was just, those are the memories, you know, that we have. The Bible has a lot to say about hell. I'm not minimizing hell. I'm not. I'm not minimizing that. But what I want, what I want to focus on is that heaven is not the alternative to have been grown up to understand. And I think that's the message that inadvertently maybe that we are sending to other people. That heaven is the alternative 
to hell. Think about this for a minute. I was trying to think about, you know, I'm not big on examples, but, but it's like, I thought, well, what, what about our kids and vacations that we used to take? We used to go down to Siesta Beach uh, down in Florida. Cheryl, we need to go there again. It's been a long time, but we'd go down there, and it was a beautiful place uh, for, for the ocean, but we'll, we'll get to that, but that'll be next week. Um, of course, mountains is where it's at, but this is the key. Now, what if I told the girls, it's like, girls, if you are, if you are uh, uh, two girls, so if you are good little girls all year long, please. But if you don't follow these rules, here's these, all these rules and all these lists, we're going to go to Antarctica, which I wouldn't mind going there, actually. <laughs> That's, I don't know if it's heaven, but, you know, it let you know that you're alive. And, and so I thought, what if we threaten the girls all week with going to Antarctica? It's going to be freezing cold. You're going to be cold all the time. And there's these bears. They're pure white and they look beautiful. But don't trust them because they will eat you. And what if we went on or we can go to this nice place? But we never tell them, what the, how do they know it's a nice place? I mean, maybe, maybe that nice place that, instead of the Antarctica is Chincoteague. Hmm. No, 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 no. That's not right. That's not right. But, I mean, we don't, we don't function this way. Why do we function this way when it comes to talking about our faith, when it comes to talking about heaven? What, what if? What if we were more excited about What if we were more excited about heaven? What if we were more excited when we die instead of just telling them, if you don't turn, you're going to burn. If you don't, right? Why, why, why do we do that? On hell, and we got to save people from hell. Why don't we save people so they can go to heaven? Huh? Don't you want to hang around the people you want to hang around with in heaven? I mean, there's some people I'm not sure I want. Well, never mind. See our thought process? It's like, why do we think this way? Why do we think this way? And Jesus tells them here that don't let your heart be troubled. Don't, don't, don't worry. Don't worry about it. I've got it. And he gives them, he says to them in verses 2 and 3, if I go, it's conditional, right? If I go and prepare a place for you, he says, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am going, there I may be also, end of the commitment, right? Well, Jesus said what? Jesus said, I'm going to die. And Jesus said, I'm going to be buried. And then going to raise again. If that's true, and when it happens, because he said that pre-it happening, I'm telling you, if I go and prepare a place for you, and the if will be met, if I die, if I am buried, if I'm raised again, that condition is met. And Jesus said, he predicted his death. He was going to be buried. He predicted he's going to be raised again. I'll go with whatever that guy says, right? And he says, if I do that, and he did that. That's his commitment. I will give you a place to belong in his book, A Place for You. Um, a Place for You is on psychology and religion. Paul Tournier, I guess that's how you say his last name, he writes this. He says, need is vital to him. Where then does the need come from? I believe that in fact it is a manifestation of a need to live, to rest. To have a place in life, exist, or to exit is to occupy a particular living space to which one has the right, end quote. Part of, part of uh, this guy's job as a psychologist, way, lost their place. And through this book that he writes, example, it's not a book on heaven, but it's a place on belonging here on the earth. But I think it applies for us too as religious, as people that are going to have a place in heaven, right? Every a place. That's what Jesus is telling them here. There's going to be a place for you. Adam and Eve, they had a place. 
And they were driven from the garden. After Cain killed her and they drifted her on the earth, he no longer had a place. Abraham was told by God, go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land I will show you. In Hebrews chapter 11, in the great faith, faith chapter, it tells us there that in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8, and by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for knowing where he was going. He left his place of comfort. He got outside his boundaries. He left his place of comfort. And by faith, he lived as an alien, as an alien, right? So he lived as an alien in the land of promise as in a tent. There's nothing permanent about a tent, is there? A tent is, a tent is, is made so you can pack it up really quickly and shove it in your backpack and get on down the trail. He lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob here in verse 10 for, this is giving the reason why, for he was looking for the city with what? city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. Abraham was living in a temporary place, a type of permanency, but he was waiting and by faith he knew and acknowledged and realized that God is creating a place for him, a place of permanency, a place that has a, has a foundation. Right? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 1, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands. Paul is acknowledging and realizes our earthly body is just a temple. There's nothing permanent about our earthly body, but that God is creating a house, a place in every person of his. While Jesus was on earth, Jesus told the disciples, hey, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has what? No place to lay here on this earth. And now, and he tells them, I have a place for you. You followed me for three years. You've seen the difficulties. You don't even know the difficulties you still have to go through. I have a place for you that what? That where I am, there you may be also. There you may be also. In Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter stone and put to death. Remember that story? In Acts chapter 7 and verse 55, as Stephen, as they were cut to the quick, it tells us, verse 55, it says, but being filled, but Stephen being filled into heaven and what? And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see that standing at the right hand of the Son of God. In Ephesians chapter 1. I love Ephesians chapter 1, you know that, but it says that when he, when Jesus, when God raised Jesus from the dead at the right hand of God, I think there's a great significance that as Stephen gazed up into heaven, he's seen what? He's seen Jesus not seated at the right hand of the Father. Hey, I got a place for you, Stephen. I got a place for you. You were faithful, right? I told you I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I got a place. Jesus was standing at the right hand of the to where? To heaven. To heaven. That's a commitment. The confusion, obvious confusion. <laughs> I was just like, Jesus, come on. How do we know where you're going? We, we don't know where you are going. It's isn't it? It was a confusion about how do you make sense of all this stuff, of all the things that you're saying. 
And then Jesus says in verse 6, the confirmation, he says, hey, what? You know the I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's what Stephen says. Or that's what Jesus tells Thomas. You know the way. You know pairing from you. Well, how do we get to heaven? How do you get to heaven? How do I go to heaven? And who goes to heaven? I mean, depending upon who you, no, no, not depending upon you. Everybody you talk to, if you believe in some type of afterlife, all says they're going to go to a better place, to heaven, to, to whatever the terminology they're going to list to it. That's where everybody goes. Good people go to heaven, right? You're not good. And neither am I. Good. By what definition am I good? By 2023 standards? Are you certainly not good by 1960 standards? You know, are, are you good? Right? And so that's a very fluid, the, defini- the very definition of good is according to what culture? According to where you live. So, so how, you go to heaven because you're good? Do you go to heaven because you followed all the rules? Do good people go to heaven? <laughs> so we've got to define good. Well, good person does what? Follow. Can you name all the Ten Commandments? You're good church people. You probably can. <laughs> Do you know where they're located? Do you know that? Right? And so we have that. Many people say, well, I'm going to go to heaven. Why? Can you, rattle, can you rattle them off? Can you list them off? Right? And so how do we go to heaven? And that's not where I'm really going to go. I'm just going to let that hang there. Because Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus. That is through Jesus. How do we get to Jesus? Well, believe on I was reminded. Oh, my. I was reminded um, this week, I was reminded of, oh, it was many years ago, and I was on an Alaskan goat hunt. And um, it was all a dream of mine to go to Alaska and shoot one of those big, hairy, I mean, they're too cute to shoot now, but, you know, big mountain goat, right? Of course, in Alaska, because of the danger of the territory, you have to have a guide. And so I shot a goat, and we hiked all the way up there, and I thought about killed me to get up in there, and then we slept up there overnight in the rain. Uh, it didn't take us too long, and I seen a nice goat, and shot the goat on a cliff, and that's a whole other thing, but it was an adventure, right? And, and so me and my guide were, were packing back out, and I don't know, we had seven, eight miles, and both of our packs are heavy with everything and stuff, and we got our packs full of goat, goat hide, goat. So we're, we're go- heading back down there, and of course, once in a while, we did see two grizzly bears. That's interesting when you got a goat in your back. Um, that's always an interesting thing, but we're packing this, this goat out. And, and you can kind of look over the, the side that's going straight down. We take a break in this meadow. You can see out over the Gulf of Alaska. And it was beautiful. And as we sit there in this meadow, and as we look out over there, and, and we just little did we understand as we were glowing in the success of a hunt, that a hunt was going to move in. And for three days, we're going to be stuck in the tree under this little tent, uh, the, the two of us. And we have, we've run out of food. And so for three, stick over a fire. I never, ever want to taste it with salt and pepper. I don't know. But there we were for three days. But that was, I didn't realize all that. Leading up to that, we were sitting in this meadow. The meadow was full of wildflowers. I love flowers. I love all those types of things. And so I was looking at these flowers, and um, all of a sudden it struck me. It's like, wow, this is crazy. What if nobody would have ever, here I sat, and I get to see these beautiful flowers. It's like, what a what a waste. What a waste for these beautiful flowers to grow in this meadow and nobody ever said of what? I was reminded of what Jesus said just about Solomon, right? Consider the lilies, how they grow. 
They neither labor nor spend, but I tell you, not even clothed himself like one of these. The more that I read about the life and study the life of Solomon, and I am certainly not an expert on anything, especially not the life of Solomon. Solomon, especially the way he ended life, was more about glorifying himself than God or anything else. And here are these lilies of the field. There was only one purpose, one mission. They could care less on a few of them. But their only purpose, to glorify God, to praise God. Did not matter if anybody seen them or didn't see them. Of those flowers. I was introduced to an author, Belden Lane. Uh, I was introduced to this author by a chaplain that I worked with. And um, Kathy, Kathy was an interesting lady as a chaplain. She was also going through her chaplaincy, doing a residency there. She also, you know, same as I was. We were there doing it for two different churches who had left her practice and was going to be an Episcopal priest. And she was also a lesbian. And Kathy and I had very little conversations. There was others there that had, and as bunch of us chaplains doing internships. Of course, we got to dig into all of our theologies and let the other person know why they're wrong and why you're right. And Kathy never said anything much of anything. And uh, when our time program, we figured out how, who's, whose way of communion is the right way. And so after that, Kathy came up to me and she said, James, I've, I've wasted a lot of times. She said, I know you don't agree with much of anything with me. But I realized how you interacted with some of the other chaplains. You're always open to listen and have conversation. And she was right. She gave me this book. And this is how I was introduced to them. The Solace of Fierce Landscapes. Exploring Desert and Mountain Spirituality. Though Kathy and I had very little conversation, Kathy knew me exactly. She wrote this in the book. She said, James, I think you and this author have similar feelings about the gifts of the natural world. Enjoy. I have read that book. I have referenced that book. I've referred back to that book time and time again. What if? What if we allowed our imagination the freedom to dream without boundaries? Let's have it all figured out. To read the Bible and the descriptive language it uses and how it speaks of heaven. What if? What if the Bible has a whole lot more because we're reading it through a boundaries, through a way that we must think about spirituality and how we must think about heaven? When I was down in uh, Georgia, Cheryl and I were down in the Georgia at our birth of a grandson. Did you know I had a grandson? I didn't even mention anything about my grandson. Hmm, I'm slacking. Um, multiple books with me, but, but one of the books that I had with me, and I used to read this to grandbaby, to Addie. Grandpa read a book, so okay, and so it was called Biblical Doctrine of Heaven, um, and she thoroughly enjoyed it about five or ten minutes, and then she's turning the page looking for the pictures, and so I'd have to give her descriptives, and, and she, did, she, she, she did enjoy the book, I'm quite certain, um, but I would read that book, Biblical Exciting, so I would read that book, went up to Amicola Falls, Went to Amicola Falls up there in Georgia. If you know anything about that, that's the start of the, uh, the Appalachian Trail. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful park. It's got a restaurant there, a nice deck looks out over the, uh, that, that's for our interpretation, but looking out over beautiful countryside nonetheless. 
And as I looked out over there again, I could just get my mind out of the biblical doctrine of heaven. And I could dream. You know, contemplative is not a bad word. Cheryl said I'm not allowed to use the word mystic, so I won't. But, 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 but contemplative is not a bad word. Contemplative, just serious thought for a period of time. For a period of time. What if we were a bit within boundaries, a bit more content in heaven? What if? Book that I had on my shelf also that I've been meaning to read and have not gotten to in that pile of books. By William, it's called, it writes, it's ravished by beauty. It down at me, and I pulled it off the shelf, opened it up, and this is what I read. It said this. Afternoon in the great silence of the South Isle Chapel of the Abbey Church in Iona. The wind beat on the wooden door nearby, rattling its iron latch, demanding entrance. From had located a cracked window. Whistling through it from time to time in a high, soft scream. The wind was soon singing in multiple registers like the voice of the Tibet. I was aware of something going on in that place. Holy, W-H-O-L-O-Y. Holy apart from me. Something I could only label as praise. Dare we imagine that the company of praise does not include the rest of creation? What is heaven like? All we need to do is look around at the natural world and we might have a pretty good picture. John Muir, the premier naturalist, if you will, he also had a spiritual. He wrote this, that at our best, at our best, everything is religion. Everything. The world is our church. But all that's for next week. So you have to come back as we look at creation and how it points and leads and maybe gives us a whole lot better clues than we thought it will be like. Father, I pray. I pray that as our mind wanders or maybe we think we can't think that way, as I certainly often did as a child, would you give us a sense of awe? Lord, would you help us to read your word as we read and we hear the re- descriptive language that it gives us of heaven. It's a desire to meditate on heaven and not just see heaven as the alternative to hell. But would you give us a longing, a desire, a passion, looking forward to as we would plan for and that you have gone and prepared a place there for heaven.